Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We are continuing in our Sunday morning series through the book of 1 Peter entitled Behind Enemy Lines. This morning is 1 Peter 2 verses 1 through 8. The title is Personal Identification. This is a two-parter, so this is part one of Personal Identification. Please enjoy. 1 Peter 2. Uh, We're going through a Sunday morning series going through the book of 1 Peter. And if you remember the first verse of 1 Peter, it is Peter, an apostle to Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And these strangers scattered throughout this region, it, it sets the tone for the whole rest of the book. And what Peter is saying is, is, Christians, look, you are behind enemy lines. You are behind enemy lines. You are someplace that uh, you, that you shouldn't be. Uh, or you, you, I've called you there, but your home is somewhere else. You're behind enemy lines. You're somewhere where they don't want you. And so the whole book of 1 Peter addresses these strangers and these pilgrims that are behind enemy lines. And a lot of the first Peter has to do with persecution and suffering. And we'll get into that as we go through the book. But, uh, but we're going through the book of First Peter. We're starting in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to ask you if you're physically able one last time to stand the respect and reverence to the Word of God as we read the Bible. We'll begin in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1 and read down to verse number 8. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted the Lord, uh, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief, uh, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone uh, which be the built, which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. The title, and this is going to be a two-part message. I'll preach the first part this Sunday and i preach the second part next Sunday because I know y'all don't want to be here for two hours. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Personal Identification. Personal Identification. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for all you've done for us. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be with us this morning as once again we dive into the Word of God and may the Word of God teach us what you would have and may the Word of God speak to us through the Holy Spirit, Lord. This book is alive and we want, we ask that this book speak to us this morning. Be with us as we go through your Word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
You may be seated. Personal identification. Um, there was a young farmer. It's a story of a young farmer who was going through the woods and he come across a young eagle that it fell out uh, of the, uh, the nest and was on the ground and was just flopping around. So the young farmer picked up the eagle and brought it back to the, to the farm and put it in the chicken coop. And then before you know it, before long, the eagles, the young eagle's impressionable. He's looking around at what's going on around him and he's in there pecking with, with the chickens. Uh, sometime later, a naturalist, which I had to look it up, a naturalist is just somebody that's an expert on nature. A naturalist came, came by and saw the chicken in the chicken coop pecking with the chickens. And he was like, what in the world? That This is the king of birds. What's he doing pecking with the chickens in the chicken coop? And the young farmer said, that's just where I put him. And he liked it, so I just kept him there. The naturalist, he begged the young farmer, let me take the chicken, let me take the eagle. He shouldn't be here. It's going to hurt him. Let me take the eagle and, and, and show him how to be an eagle. And so the young farmer said, fine. So the naturalist, he went over there and he grabbed the eagle and he threw the eagle in the air and the eagle and went right back to pecking with the chickens. He took the eagle and he climbed up on top of the barn on the, on the second story of the barn and opened the barn window and chucked the eagle out of the window and said, fly, eagle, fly. And when the eagle was in the air, it was trying to flap and it was trying to do something, but it, it, it floated to the ground and went right back over to the chickens and started pecking. Finally, after that, the naturalist, he took the eagle and he went up high on a nearby cliff where the cliff was straight down. And he looked at the eagle and he said, I know you can do it. You've got it in you. And he threw the eagle off the cliff and the eagle was struggling, struggling. But about halfway down, the eagle started to catch stride. And the eagle never hit the bottom. The eagle flapped and started flying and the eagle flew away. The eagle was confused at his identity. Peter is telling these strangers behind enemy lines, you have to know you have a new identity. When you are saved and when you become a, a child of God, as we'll talk about, and you become a new creature, you get a new identity. Your identity is very important. Everything you are, how you deal with the rest of the world, what comes in and out of you is filtered through your identity. And when we are in Christ, we have a new identity. You can't, uh, let me tell you something, a lot of people think I am my past. My past defines who I am. What I did in my past, it defines me and it doesn't. You are not your past. Some people say, well, I am my parents. I turn out just like my parents. But guess what? You are not your parents. Your parents are not your identity. Some people, they walk around, they say, well, I am my problems. And their whole self and their whole identity is wrapped up in the problems that they have. And when they talk to people, that's the first thing they talk about is they talk about their problems because they identify with the problems. But if you are in Christ, you are not your problems. You are a new creature. You have a new identity. And here in the first part of 2 Peter, 
He's going to give us some things that define our new, our, new, our, our new identity. Okay, so number one, this is our first new identity. Number one, we are growing children. We are growing children. Now, the first verse here in, 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 in Peter 2, verse 1, he's telling us what we should lay aside. He said, you need to lay these things aside because you don't live like this anymore. You don't have to do this anymore. You're not bound by sin anymore. You don't have to live this way. These are things that you can go without. You don't have to do these things anymore. And it goes on a list. It says, first of all, it says, lay aside all malice. Now, malice is an interesting word. It's a word we don't use too much very often anymore. And, and, and malice is a desire to see somebody else hurt. Malice is a desire to see somebody else embarrassed. Malice is a desire to see somebody else suffer. That's what malice is. Basically, that's saying, hey, that person that cut me off on the, on the interstate, I want something bad to happen to them. I want them to get a flat tire. I want them to stub their toe. I want them to have to go get a root canal. I want something bad to happen to them. That's a malice problem. It's a mal oh, I won't. I, 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 you're, you, what you're doing is you want them to suffer. I, I, I hope God does something to them. I, I'm hopeful they're their harm. I'm hopeful uh, for their harm. Now, look. It's okay to want evil to stop. If you see something wrong going on, if you see something evil, it's okay to want that evil to stop. It's not okay to wish harm on the person doing the evil. That's malice. We, most of us in here were alive when the Twin Towers went down. We hear about ISIS. Some, you know, you, you should actually pray for ISIS, members of ISIS to be saved. Some people say, oh, I don't want them to be saved. I want them to die and go to hell. You've got a malice problem. You've got a malice problem. You are not, we are not to wish harm on anybody else, even God. God controls this whole thing. If any suffering or any harm comes upon someone, God is the sovereign person that allows it to happen, and he doesn't even have that attitude. He doesn't have the attitude that I want someone to suffer. We may need to suffer. We may have to suffer in order for his will to be done, but he doesn't desire that for anybody. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord. When he says, as I live, you know, you've heard mama say that before, as I live and breathe. Okay? And this is what God is saying. He's saying, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Huh. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? God does not desire that the, that the wicked die. He sees the wicked and he's like, man, that's such a waste. 
Man, if that wicked person, if they turn back to God, if they give their life to me, if they surrender to me, if they become my child, I got a plan for them. I got something special for them. I know they're wicked. I know they're evil, but I want them to repent. It is my desire that no one perish, that everyone come to repentance. That's the Lord's desire. The Lord's desire is not that the wicked should suffer, but that the wicked should come to repentance. In fact, Christ took this a step further. Christ even took this a step further. Matthew 5, 43 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So not only should I not wish any harm on a person that does evil to me, I should actually wish good on them. I should pray that good stuff happens to them. I should treat them good. Even though they're hating on me, I need to treat them good. Over in Luke, I think it's Luke 6, you know, it's easy. Jesus says, it's easy to love people who love you. But I want you to love people that hate you. Ooh, that's, that's rough. That's not something I want to do. People be hating on me, and my first thought isn't to love them. That's what Jesus said. He just said, love those that hate you. So malice, this is an attitude that's something that we're going to leave behind. We're going to leave this behind. It's the old life. It's my old identity. I don't want harm to fall on anybody, even people that do evil against me. Now, the next word, it says all guile. And what guile is? Guile is deceit. Guile is deception. It's sly cunningness. Do not underestimate the sneakiness of guile. Deception. Now, I want you to see here, he didn't say lie. He didn't say don't lie. He said don't deceive. There's a difference between lying and deception. You may say, oh, I didn't lie. I just allowed them to believe something that was a conveniently untrue in my favor. That's not lying. No, that's called being deceptive. That's called deception. So when it comes to this, this is an integrity thing. This is an integrity, integrity thing here. What Jesus say? Jesus said, let your yea be what? Let your nay be what? So let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Don't be deceptive. Don't be trying to be sly and cunning and trick people and manipulate people. A person without guile and a person without deceit has, has a reputation for being honest. Do, you have a, do we have a reputation for being honest? When we say something, can people take that to the bank? Man, we missed the day for handshake deals. We missed those days. There was a time when you can go into a bank and shake a banker's hand, and that was good enough. It, it, it's not that way anymore. You got to have more cosigners, and there's, there's got a whole page for cosigners. 
The, you, the handshake deal is something we, I wish we could get back to. I don't think we'll ever will, but let me tell you something. Do we have a reputation for being honest? When you're 10 minutes late to work and nobody knows and the boss doesn't know and you get away with it and you're getting paid for that 10 minutes, do you go to the boss and say, boss, I know you don't know this, but I was 10 minutes late. I need you to take that 10 minutes off my paycheck because I don't want to steal it. I don't want to be deceptive. You say, but I didn't lie to him. He, just, he didn't know. It's still being deceptive. It's still having guile. Okay? Do you have, do we have integrity? That's what guile means, being deceptive. Next it says hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Any group as big as Christianity, uh, we're, 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 gonna, we're going to have hypocrites. We're going to have hypocrites. Um, someone that, that doesn't measure up, but they pretend to. You know, people say, oh, well, I don't want to go to church because churches ain't nothing but hypocrites. You know, I don't believe that. I don't believe every church out there is full of hypocrites. Do hypocrites exist? Yes, they do. But I don't think every church out there is just full of hypocrites. You know, there's a meme going around on Facebook and of an evangelist that made a quote about hypocrisy in churches. And I will say that I said this long before that evangelist started me. But anyway, I digress. Lord, I apologize. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the saying is, if you don't want to, if you want to go somewhere without hypocrites, don't go to Walmart. Walmart's full of hypocrites. Get that right, Sam. He knows. <laughs> he knows. You know, so don't go to Walmart if you want to stay away from hypocrites. But the thing is, is that I don't believe that every church everywhere is just full of nothing but hypocrites. Hypocrisy is fake. Hypocrisy is acting. I don't think that. I don't think the church is just full of hypocrites. Now, I do believe hypocrisy breeds hypocrisy. If you're being a hypocrite, somebody's going to watch you, and that's what they're going to emulate. But if hypocrisy breeds hypocrisy, then that means, I had trouble with this word last night. Let me see if I can get it right. Genuineness breeds genuineness. I did good. But, you know, hypocrisy breeds hypocrisy but being genuine breeds being genuine and let me tell you something about hypocrisy have you ever done the little thing where you hold something up and you see how long or you hold it out and you see how long you can hold it and eventually your arm just wears out and just gets tired and you just get to the point where you have muscle failure and you just you can't hold it up anymore it's exhausting Hypocrisy is holding up a mask. And the whole time you're at church, you've got to hold this mask up. You can't let it down even for a second. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to hold up a mask the whole time. So when you come to church, don't be fake. Be real. Be who you are. I'll say, Brother Brian, I don't like who I am. Then change it. I'm telling you, it's a lot less exhausting to change how you are at home to match what you are at church than to be fake and act and be a hypocrite the whole time. Being a hypocrite is exhausting. 
We just need to be us. We just need to be real. Don't put on a show. Don't put on a show for anybody. Now the next one says, next is envies. Envy means you're envious of something somebody else have. It just, it just means like you're jealous. And you know what the key to not being envious is? Is, 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 is stop comparing yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to other Christians. Don't, 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 don't do that. Heard a preacher talk one time and he said that he went off on a vacation and uh, he had this guy come and preach and teach his Sunday school and preach his church, preach his Sunday morning service. And the next Sunday when he come back from vacation, this lady came up to him and said, oh, well, this preacher who came and preached, he was just the best thing since sliced bread. He was great. He was awesome. He taught the Bible. He did such a good job. He preached. He preached with power. He was funny. I got so much out of the message. We have to have this preacher back. And the pastor who was pastor of the church looked at the lady and said, what about me? And when I heard that he said that to the lady, I thought that wasn't the right thing to say. That wasn't the right thing to say. Maybe he should have said, well, praise God. I'm so glad that y'all had a preacher come that y'all enjoyed. That is just such a wonderful thing. We got to get out of this comparing ourselves to other Christians. We, 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 we don't need to do that. If someone comes and preaches in this pulpit and does a great job, praise the Lord for it. Don't be envious for something that, that somebody else has that you don't. Be happy for them. Be happy when someone else does something well. I've told y'all many times about a man that I was, uh, me and him were both assistant pastors at Open Door and Summit, and his name's Brother Josh Westmore, and he preached here a couple years ago, but he could do everything. He could preach, he could sing, he, he, wouldn't, he couldn't meet a stranger. He'd go up to somebody in Walmart, talk, start a conversation, and then begin witnessing to him just like that. He just had all these things, and maybe just for a little bit, I was a little envious of those things but instead I got to the point where I just you know what praise the Lord for it and what I when we know what happened then then I started learning when I dropped my envy and I dropped my jealousy then when I looked at brother Joss I was like ah well, that's how you do it so then I began growing my envy was keeping me from growing we don't need to be envious of other Christians we got to stop comparing ourselves to other Christians. Why? Because, you know, we're all different parts of the same body. When you compare a big toe to a liver, there is no comparison, but both are necessary. And both are part of the same body and both have a purpose. Now, they don't, they don't have purposes, don't have anything to do with each other, but they both still have a purpose. They are both different, but they are both necessary. They're both necessary. We're all, we're all a part of the same body. Now, this next, this next thing in the verse, it says evil speaking. Now, you would think evil speaking would mean when you speak anything bad about somebody, but really this evil speaking here has to do with slander. It has, when evil speak, it's talking about evil speaking here, it talks about slander. And, you know, envy leads to slander. And, in fact, all of these things are progression. All of you got, uh, you got malice, which leads to guile, which leads to hypocrisy, which leads to envy, which leads to slander. And slander, of course, is when you speak against someone falsely. When you have, bring up false 
false uh, uh, accusations against somebody. The definition of slander is a false charge. So, you know, this isn't like calling out sin. This isn't like going up to somebody and say, hey, you're messing up, you're doing wrong. That's truth. It's going behind somebody's back and say, hey, do you see what so-and-so did? And you exaggerate it and make it worse than it really is. Or you just flat out lie with the intention of hurting them. These are all things we need to leave behind. Now let's go to verse 2. It says, as newborn babes. Now, we talked about in chapter 1 how... We talked about the doctrine of being born again. So we're born again in chapter 1, and here in chapter 2, Peter's continuing that thought of being born again. Uh, so we continue that idea. You know, it's very common in the Scriptures for Christians to be compared with little children. Matthew 18, 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, uh, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know what? About, you know the thing about children is, is children are immature. Children can't make grown-up decisions. Their brain is not developed enough. There are people in this country trying to pass laws that a child can decide what gender they are and can take medications and have surgeries at eight and nine years old to change their gender because that's just their gender identity and they can decide that. A child cannot decide that. A child is not developed enough to make a grown-up decision. Children are immature. We know that because we've been children. We've been there. Children are not developed. They have to grow. They have to mature. Sometimes you can, you can plead with a child, and you can make a good case about why they should act right, but that does not matter. They do not listen to logic. They don't. Their brain can't handle it. Not yet. It says, newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the words. So let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about milk. Milk is pre-digested food. Somebody had to take the meat, digest it, and feed it to you. That's what milk is. And you know what that sounds a lot like to me? That sounds a lot like Bible preaching, and that sounds a lot like Bible teaching. Somebody took the meat, digested it, and gave it to you so you can digest it easily. That is Bible preaching, and that is Bible teaching. I love me some milk. I do not know what I would do if I was lactose intolerant. I love me some milk. You give me some couple of, in the morning, you give me a cherry, a couple cherry pop tarts and a big glass of cold, ice cold milk. That's just my favorite breakfast in the world. I love it. If I, if I drink ice water in the morning, I'll get sick, but I can drink all the milk I want. I absolutely love milk. But you know, if a baby does not get the milk, 
they will not survive. They will not survive if they do not get the milk. Your Christian life is determined on how much milk you get. What is your attitude towards Bible preaching and Bible teaching and the teaching of the word and receiving the word? The fact the Bible, it tells us to desire it. It's a command. We are to desire preaching. We are to desire teaching. We are to desire this book. Do you desire to sit and listen to somebody open the Bible and teach the Bible and preach the Bible and open the Word of God? Do you have that desire? It is the only way you're going to grow. You're not going to grow sitting at the house. You're not going to grow sitting at work. You are going to grow when you are in a house of God when you are getting preached this Bible and taught this Bible and this Bible is being digested and it's given to you that is how you're going to grow you're not going to grow any other way it's a command when Colin was about a week old me and Emily were in our apartment she doesn't know I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> we were in our apartment, and Colin was just a crying. We could not do any. This is our first kid. We've had him two weeks, a week, I don't know, somewhere around there. And we're like, he won't stop crying. We, was, we gave him a bottle, made sure it was dry, and we were, we were beat. We were tired. She was beat. I had to get up and go to work the next day. It's 2 o'clock. No, it's not 2 o'clock. Maybe it was midnight. It's midnight. I got to get up in the morning. And I got to go to work. And I was like, was just, look, just let him cry. Just leave him there. Let him cry. cry. I had seen something like that on TV. People do that. I thought that was a thing. And just leave him in the crib. He'll cry himself to sleep. So right then my sister calls me. And she says, hey, she's checking on us. See how the baby's going. Oh, yeah, she just, we, we gave him a bottle and we made sure he's dry and we just, we got to get up in the morning. I'm just going to let him cry. Maybe he'll cry himself to sleep. And she said, really? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm just going to do it. It'll be all right. She said, okay. My sister hung up the phone with me and she did what I think all good sisters do. She called my mom and told on me. <laughs> okay, so she's in Michigan. I'm in Memphis. My mom's in Macomb. And she calls my mom, and I'm laying down. I've been laid down about 10 minutes, and my phone goes off, and, and, and I pick up the phone. Brett, you get out of bed. You pick that baby up. You hold that baby, or I'm going to come up there. And she said she'd do stuff to me. I'm not going to repeat that. But uh, she said she now my mom at this point is 400 miles away from me. And what did I do? I got out of bed, and I, went and I got that baby because that's what my mom told me to do. It turns out he did end up taking another little piece of a bottle and did go, end up going to sleep. He just was desiring that milk. He had to have that milk. He can't grow without the milk. How in the world can you expect to get close to God without the milk? You can't. People think, oh, I just got my fire insurance, so I'm going to go off and do what I want to do. You have to have the milk. It's got to be fed to you. 
You have to get it. That pre-digested food is the only way you're going to get nourishment. It's the only way you're going to grow. You have to love it. It's the only thing that can satisfy. No matter how long we've been saved, mature or not, we all need the milk. Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Every single verse of Psalms 119 is about the Word of God. Every single one. Only the Word can satisfy. Psalms 119.25 My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. This verse says that it gives us a sense of being in a desert. I'm in a dry, desolate desert. My tongue is just cleaving to my mouth. It's dry. And I'm so thirsty. I'm desiring for something to drink. And the only thing that can quench my thirst is the word of God. It's the only thing that can satisfy me. 119.28 My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. We're being oppressed. We're being pushed down. We're being zapped of strength. We're being zapped of energy. We're so low. And the word of God is the only thing that can jolt us. The only word of God is the only thing that can give us that second wind. The word of God is the only thing that can give us strength. Only the word of God can do that. Psalms 119.50 This is my comfort in my affliction. For the word hath quickened me. I'm afflicted. I'm distressed, I'm worried, I'm destitute, I'm in a bad place. But the word of God, it's the soft pillow that I can land on. It's the umbrella that shields me from the storm. It's the shield that protects me from the arrows that fly. One nineteen ninety eight. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I'm surrounded by evil. I'm surrounded that people want to see me die. I'm surrounded by people that want to destroy me. But the word of God is my way out. It is my salvation. It is my safety. It is my escape plan. Do you have that kind of relationship with your Bible? Do you have that kind of relationship with preaching, teaching of the Bible? And of course it says desire the sincere milk of the word. So it has to be sincere. Who checks to see if it's sincere? You do. You check to see if it's sincere. You check to see if it's true. Don't take my word for it. Look in there yourself. Uh, don't just do you check it. Don't just take what a Bible teacher or a Bible t- preacher preaches to you at face value. Don't do that. Open up the Bible. Check it yourself. Make sure it's right. Make sure it's true. Make sure it's sincere. Don't be wrong. And we talked about this last week. Don't be wrongly influenced by somebody's preferences. Don't be wrong. Don't be in, you know, if it's not backed up by the word of God, it's not truth. It's not sincere. I told the people, so a couple people this Wednesday night, and I've really never shared this on a Sunday morning with y'all. 
but four years, I'm, I'm getting where I can share stuff with you. Um, I grew up independent, fundamental Baptist. That's what I grew up in. King James only. Uh, very, very, very conservative. Like when I say King James only, I mean you preach out of any other Bible. That's, those, those Bibles are Satan's Bibles. That's what I grew up in. I don't hold that position now. I still use the King James Bible, but it's all the Word of God. And that's one of the reasons why I was getting away from that, because I was, it was just all so much preferences. I never wore shorts. We weren't allowed to wear shorts. Shorts were wrong. Okay, now I still don't wear shorts, but for a different reason. Okay, I got some, I got some white legs after wearing shorts for so many years. I don't want to show you my, my white legs. So I still don't wear shorts for a different reason. But Emily, Emily, she wore dresses every day. Till we came to this church, she never wore pants. She wore dresses. And that's what, and you know, and part of the reason is I'm looking through the Bible and looking at this, and I was getting to where, man, these are just people's preferences. They're not backed up by Scripture. One of the things is we weren't allowed to go to the movies. Could not go. It was a sin to go to the movies. And uh, my preacher, my pastor, I still love my pastor. Don't get me, I still love my preacher. But how my preacher would, would, would defend that or preach that is he'd get up and say, okay, you going into the movies and you're going to see Furry Furry Rabbit, but Lucy with a red dress is playing. And it's rated R. And somebody sees you going into the movies, they don't know what you're going to go see. So that was the way he, you know, what's your Bible verse? Oh, uh, abstain from all appearance of evil. That sounds a little fishy to me. It sounds like you're tacking something on to that verse. For years I thought that, and then one day I saw my preacher in, ooh, get ready for this reference. I saw my preacher in Blockbuster. Man, that's a callback right there. That's a callback right there. But I, I still got my Blockbuster card. I can't get myself to get rid of it. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I saw my preacher in Blockbuster and I thought, you know, I don't know what he's in there written. He could be in there written for, for a rabbit or Lucy with a red dress. I don't know. What's the difference between that and going to the movies? For that matter, he's got a satellite dish on the side of his house. I don't know what he's watching in there. It's not about other people and what other people see you doing. It's about you and the Lord. Okay, so this thing of make sure somebody preaches something to you, make sure it's true. Make sure it's sincere. Make sure it's backed up by the Bible. In verse 3, if so be ye tasted that the Lord is gracious. Simply put, if you act as a child and you yearn for the milk of the word, you're going to find out quick that the Lord is sweet. And the more you listen and the more you get and the more you get fed, the sweeter and sweeter and sweeter the Lord will become to you. My mom, she'd make this, she called it a pina colada cake. I'm sorry, this is what she called it. I don't know why she called that. It didn't have any alcohol in it. I don't have a lot of experience, but I'm pretty sure it didn't taste like a pina colada. But it had pineapples and, you know, uh, coconut and had milk in there. And I love this cake. She always make a section without coconut. I can't stand coconut. It's not a taste. It's a texture thing. Can anybody give me a witness? 
And it's not a taste, it's a texture thing. But, but one thing I always look forward to her making this cake. Why? Because when it was over, there were three cans of condensed milk that I got to lick out. And I would get those cans and, and I would lick those cans of condensed milk out because it was just so sweet. And that's what the Lord will be. Number two, we'll just do one more section here, running out of time. Number two, a living stone. Our identity is a living stone. Let's read chapter two, verses four through eight. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they also were appointed." So we're called here to be living stones. And what this is, is this is an illustration of a temple being built. So we're building a temple and we are chosen by God and we are precious. When the people built Solomon's temple, when they built the temple, each stone was specific. Each stone had unique measurements and were shaped to fit with the stones around it. Today, we, our bricks are just all the same little size. They're all the same size, they're uniform, and you build whatever you want to build with them. But when they built the temple, it wasn't like that. All the stones that were shaped to fit the stones around it, they were unique, they had special measurements. Each stone was shaped for a specific purpose, like I said, to fit the stones around it. And look, there was, to be no, there was to, be, to be no sounds of tools at the temple site. So what they had to do was at the quarry, they would measure the stone, they would shape the stone, they would label the stone, and then send the stone to the builders, and the builders would put the stone in the right place. You know what? We are all chosen to be a part of this temple. We are all chosen to be a part of this body of Christ. We are all chosen to be a part of the church for a purpose. You know why? Because we all have unique gifts. We all have different gifts. If we were all teachers, nothing would ever get done. Y'all really wouldn't want me to hang them TVs by myself. I promise you, you wouldn't. Okay? We all have unique talents and we all have unique gifts. So... Ask yourself, what am I good at? Usually the answer to that question is how you can serve the Lord. Because he gave you a talent. He gave you a gift. But, you know, we all have to come together. And we all have to work together and fit together. Just like the stones at the temple. If they sent the stones and then never put the stones together, the stones would be useless. They'd be paperweights. The only way we, we work as living stones is if we fit together. And if we come together in one body, in one house, in one church. Otherwise, we're useless. And then Jesus, 
Jesus is the chief cornerstone. A cornerstone was either at the top of an arch or it was in the actual corner. Now, I do believe that the cornerstone that he's talking about is the main cornerstone in the corner of a building. But either way, the illustration works. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Not only are we all shaped to fit around each other, all of us are shaped to fit around him. We are all shaped to fit around Christ, the cornerstone. You know, we're, the Bible says we're a temple. Your body is a temple. Individually, we are a temple. But you know what else? We're also a temple together. What do we say? This building isn't the church. This building burns down. The church is still here. We are the church. The body, the believers, we are the church. There's a Jewish story. And I love this story because it comes from Jewish tradition. It's not like us Christians made it up. It comes from Jewish tradition. That when they were building the temple, they, they made the cornerstone. They measured it, and they labeled it, and they logged it, and they sent it to the temple site. And when, they got, when it got to the temple site, the builders were like, we don't need this yet. And they sent it back, they slid it back down the hill. A few years later, they got to the point where they needed the chief cornerstone. And uh, they sent to the people and they, they sent to the quarry and they said, hey, send us the chief cornerstone. We're ready for it. And they looked at their logs and they said, we've already sent it to you. And so the builders, they start looking around and it took and takes them a little while. And somebody one day they, they go down the hill and they 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 put the brushes back and the vines that were growed over it. And they found the chief cornerstone. They found it and they got it and they took it and they put it in the head of the corner. And what this story is, is we think that this story is reflected in Scripture. Not only here in 1 Peter, but also in Psalms 118.22, where it says, the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. You know, just like the temple cornerstone, Jesus, when he came the first time, he was rejected. When he comes the second time, He'll be received. When Stephen is pleading his case in Acts 7, he says to those Jews, he said, when Joseph came the first time, you rejected him. But when Joseph showed up the second time, you received him. When Moses came the first time, you rejected him. But when Moses came the second time, you received him. And Stephen said, you're doing the same thing with Christ. You rejected him now. One day you'll receive him. And that's when they, they stoned Stephen. Now, you know, it's, then it says here, Christ, the, the verses continue, it says Christ is a, stumbling, is a stumbling block. He's a rock of offense. Now, I don't get this. Is he the chief cornerstone? Or if he, is he a stumbling block and a rock of offense? Which one is he? He's both. He's both. Let me read for you Isaiah 8, 14. And he shall be for sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, for a rock of, in, of offense, the, both the houses of Israel for a sin and for a, 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 a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So uh, what, the, what, what this is saying here is that if you, have, you can either have faith or you can reject. If Christ will either cause you to have faith or Christ will either cause you to stumble. If you're disobedient to him, 
Christ will be a stumbling block to you. If you reject Christ, you will become offended in him. So what am I saying today? I'm saying today that our new identity in Christ is a special thing. We are born again. We are to desire the sincere milk of the word where we can grow. We all fit together perfectly in, in, in this temple where Jesus Christ is the head of the corner. And then today, if anything about Christ offends you, then he is not in you. Don't let Jesus be a stumbling block to you. Have faith in him. Every service, I don't care how many times the same people come to church, I'm always going to offer Christ to you. There could be someone in here, you've been holding on to the back of the pew for 10 years. Maybe today is the day you accept Christ. Don't let Christ be a stumbling block. Don't let him be an offense. Accept him today. That's our new identity. Get a new identity today.